Hello and welcome to another episode of the Zone Project Podcast, Getting Undressed with God. I am your host, Pablo Giacopelli, and I would like to welcome you to episode 5. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you some of the meditations and discoveries that I have been making in my own journey uh, in referring to how and what it looks like and what sort of fruit it produces when we choose to approach our lives in an experimental way with God as opposed to the way that most of us are more secure with and often practice, which is, of course, the literal way. So I'll invite you to stick around, fasten your seatbelts, and hopefully you will enjoy the show. Well, here we are again for the second episode of my uh, podcast. I am very happy that you could take the time to join me. And uh, I must admit that I really enjoyed last week's podcast. And now that I am able to or have figured out how to work this garage band thing to record the podcast and arrange it all, even though I'm still obviously learning and I'm probably going to have a few hiccups. It is really great, um, you know, and it is really attractive to do something that in the past I only really looked away from a distance and probably thought, man, it must be great to be able to do a podcast, but oh, to get all those things right with the recording and stuff and, and editing and making sure that you're able to say what you got to say and then talking to yourself, it must be, you know, it just looked quite daunting, but I am glad I've had a go and that I've tried it. Now, today I, wanna, I want to just share with you um, my discoveries uh, of the difference between experience and, uh, if you like, literal knowledge uh, of, of God, of the scriptures. Um, I was watching a movie the other day, and one of the things I do when I watch movies with my wife, my wife, of course, she's born and bred in Israel, and of course she speaks perfect English, but... At the same time, when we watch a movie, she likes to have Hebrew subtitles if they're available. Uh, because, of course, she doesn't want to miss, obviously, anything that might obviously be relevant and important in the movie. And at the same time, you know, she doesn't want to keep asking me every five or six minutes, Pablo, what did he say? What did he say? What did she say? So for the sake of our, uh, our peace at home, of course, <laughs> and her ability to make sure that she understands the movie, she obviously likes to have the subtitles. Now, as I obviously was watching the movie, I became aware that I could read the subtitles. And by reading the subtitles, I would, of course, be able to understand what or, or at least hear what was said. And of course, on the surface, um, you know, listen to people talking on the movie. This would give me a, a, a random idea of what the movie not only was about, but what was going on. But if I really wanted to experience the movie and let it impact my heart and my life, and as some movies obviously have the potential to do so, to really change the course of my life or lead me to consider something that I've never considered before, I will not get that just by reading the subtitles at the bottom of the screen. The only way that I will get that is by actually watching and experiencing the movie. In other words, watching scene by scene, seeing the background, the setting that the scene is taking place in, the facial expressions of the characters, 
the you know the emphasis that they put on certain words the expressions in their body when they speak and communicate perhaps the touch between two characters uh, showing that there is intimacy in the in in the in the shot whereas of course reading the subtitles will never lead me to that so just if you like immersing myself in the movie and being able to almost be a part of what's going on as if I was actually there in the movie itself. Now, when we, uh, when we read the Bible, of course, we read text. And text is literal. There, there's not a lot more to it that we can do with that. But the actual meaning of that text, it's not literal, but it's actually spiritual. Which means that the text is an invitation to, uh, to take a journey and to understand that what it may literally tell us, there is a, a world of uh, other things that is actually also trying to communicate to us. But of course, unless we engage our heart and immerse ourselves in the scripture, all we will ever read will be a literal text. And our relationship with God or our journey spiritually will very much be a literal one. Now, the only problem with literalism is, is, of course, is the most basic and shallow way to approach a spiritual journey. Because it literally limits us to understanding what happened according to a set of words that was put together. Don't forget that when people wrote the Bible, they themselves were attempting to describe what they felt, what they saw, what they heard. They were attempting to describe uh, an immense amount of details that would have gone on and the, 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 the several messages that every passage has the potential to communicate and address in our practical daily lives on the issues of the heart and the way we go about it. Um, they would have had to encapsulate all of that into text, which is essentially written words. And as you and I both know, words are a very, very bad metaphor to try and encapsulate what is actually taking place not only in front of us with us but also within us and so i want to i want to just uh, invite you in this small journey because we only have really 20 30 minutes where i'm going to just go through a few passages in scripture because of course we all know that experience will always be far richer than a pocket full of cash experience will always be far more transformational than any amount of certificates we can have or trophies we can have or decorations or rewards or awards that we can have on our walls hanging behind where we sit in our office that attempt to communicate that because those are there we somehow know more than others we got to remember that all these guys who wrote the scriptures apart from maybe paul they were simple people there were people that were just going about their daily lives. You know, Peter was a simple fisherman. Matthew, a tax collector. Um, you know, John, of course, was just another one of the guys. Ma you know, Matthew, I mentioned. Luke, okay, he was a doctor. But when it came to the matter of spirituality and to the spiritual journey that they obviously took with Jesus, obviously Paul didn't, but the other guys did, you know, they had no qualifications whatsoever behind them that would in any way qualify them to be able to experience, to be able to express, to be able to even understand what they were seeing. 
And so they are able to communicate or attempt to communicate to us what they experienced. Okay. And so I don't know about you, but for many years, my life was full of literal things. I had read many books. I had read the Bible several times over. I religiously prayed and fasted every week. Um, you know, I behaved in the way that I best possibly could. And yet, even though I did all these things, my life did not really contain within it that involuntary rest and that, if you like, mystical experience that brings this confidence in people when they know that they are beloved children of God, when they know and not only know but understand their true identity in him and who he is in them. And also this almost like security, this, this, this unshakable confidence that they have a father that loves them unconditionally and who knows them inside out and who has given them and is given them his attention 24-7. They have almost like a refuge. And we know in the Bible, in many places, we see the words, you know, God is our refuge. We can rest in peace because we are, of course, behind uh, or rest peacefully because we are standing behind the shield of the Almighty. You know, Jesus said about gathering people like the hand gathers his chicks when he was speaking to Jerusalem. You know, knowing this place of protection, this place where if you like, like Jesus, you're able to be asleep in the midst of a storm in the middle of the waters because you know that your life has a purpose. You know that purpose has not been fulfilled in its entirety. And then no storm, no turbulence, no derailment of a train, no car accident can possibly kill you because there is still stuff for you to do and partner with God to do in this earth. And so there is this deep confidence. And because of this deep confidence, people live in a very much a place of peace. And the fruits of the spirit, you know, patience, long suffering, you know, loving kindness, all those things, they just begin, they flow out of them, you know, almost like effortlessly. And, you know, in my life, even though I did all the things, all the literal things that were supposed to actually produce those things, I, I you know, the, the harder I tried, and that's the thing about religion, the harder we practice it, the worse we get at it. Whereas, you know, as opposed to another life that is like that, but that it actually lives relaxed, that it prays without ceasing, but not because it actually praise on its knees, but because it's aware of God's presence. A life that is happy to meditate for 25 minutes and say nothing and not be afraid at the end that, that they're not going to get anything because they didn't say nothing, but, at, but actually be happy to be in the presence of God for all that time and allow him to take us, our lover, to take us wherever he wants us to go. And yet, in spite of the this lack of trying, if you like, there seems to be this unending source and supply of fruit and of peace and of rest. And so, of course, you know, I, as you, those of you that know me and those you don't, you know, you can read my first book, Holding On Loosely, where, you know, I share my, my experience. You guys know that I had obviously a, a breakdown on an airplane 35,000 feet above the earth while I travel from one tennis tournament to another while I used to be a, a, a tennis coach in the world, female professional tennis tour. Um, and you guys know what happened there and the shift that there was. 
But obviously people have asked me, you know, well, what changed, Pablo? Obviously there's something changed within you. Obviously you, your approach changed. But is there a story in the Bible? Is there something that shows us, you know, what truly happened to you? And, you know, um, one of the things I do uh, is I obviously spiritually guide people through coaching, um, you know, an hour a week, sometimes two hours a week. Um, and, uh, you know, and I obviously work with them and I, and I guide them in their journey away from religion, uh, you know, de deconstructing this, this egotistical God that they have created um, and being able to just deconstruct that and walk away and share all the things, of course, that, you know, make up their false identity and therefore their false identity, the false God that it's created uh, into a place which is obviously like an open field, which is what grace is where they're able to, you know, to stay present, where they're able to, um, even though they are aware that they can control their lives or resign themselves, they choose to remain present and surrender in the road of grace. And they allow God to lead them by faith. Um, there's a lot of mystery, but there's a lot of peace. There's a lot of rest. Because on this road, of course, we understand that the results belong to God. Anyhow, one of the one of the, the passages of the Bible that I that I use um, obviously to to show this is found in, in John chapter five, and it's in the first sort of part of John chapter five, which is of course from verse uh, one to around verse eight and nine. And I'm not going to go ahead and read the passage; you can read it yourself. Um, and it speaks about um, you know the pool of Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda is of course uh, an actual place in Jerusalem. And it's actually a neat place because it's one of the few places in Jerusalem where you, where you actually see what Jesus would have seen and the place where Jesus would have actually been. Because, of course, much of Jerusalem and what we see, the real place, is actually maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet below where we stand. That's why when we do our retreats in Israel, I always say to people, look, this is the area where it happened. But seldomly do I say, look, this is the spot where it happened, because usually that spot is 50 feet below their ground. Because, of course, Jerusalem is obviously been built upon many times because it's been destroyed many times. And instead of clearing the rubble, because obviously they didn't have caterpillars then, they obviously built on top of the rubble and used that as a foundation. Anyways, the Pool of Bethesda, it's, it's a great place. And in this passage, you know, Jesus arrives. Um, and when he arrives, you know, he's arriving into a, a place where there is already a system in motion. And the system is that once a year, an angel would descend and would stir the waters. And whoever managed to get in there first would, of course, be completely healed of whatever their ailment was. So whatever it was physical, emotional, whatever it was, they will be completely healed. Only one person. Now, as you can imagine, when something like this is on offer, there would have been dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Now, here comes Jesus. And amongst all those people, there is this guy who... The Bible doesn't actually say this, but I can bet my bottom dollar that it would have been the most crippled, the most broken person, the one that could really help themselves the least. Uh, in other words, unless someone came along and did something for them without them having to somehow fulfill the standard or fulfill, you know, the, the system that was in motion like it was on that pool, they would have no chance of ever experiencing freedom and healing that the others experienced that were able to get in the pool first. And so, of course, he goes for this guy who's been lying there for 38 years. Now, 38 years is a really, really long time. 
And that's almost as long as I've been alive. And now this guy is, of course, been lying there. And he has watched, you know, in his estimation, he has watched 38 other people get what he so desperately wants to get. No one is, of course, helping him. He says that no one is, of course, bothered about him. No one is interested in even lending him a hand because, of course, if they lend him a hand, that would slow them down and they somehow would not be able to get in the pool. I'm sorry, that was my parrot. Uh, obviously, he's enjoying the podcast, so I hope you are too. There you go, you see? And that, that meant this guy was totally and utterly, as far as he was concerned, he did not measure up to the system that was in motion. He could not get this healing that this pool and when the angel descended promised. Now, Jesus goes up to him and asks him the most ridiculous question. Do you want to be made well? Now, of course, the guy, you know, he's obviously not going to go, well, you know, of course he answers him. Of course I want to be made well. And let's face it, we all want to be made well. We all want to be healed and healthy. We all want to be happy and at peace. And so Jesus looks at him. And now by now, I would imagine everybody else was looking and obviously says to him, okay, Take your mat up and go. And the guy is instantly healed. What happened to the pool? Every single person that had to heal, that, that wanted to be healed, that, that, was, that, that, that had, you know, they had to get into the pool. Without getting in the pool, they could not be healed. Now, one of the, you know, and this guy, you know, he doesn't have to do anything. He, he bypasses the, the system that is in motion and somehow gets what other people, perhaps there, have been waiting for 20, 25 years because, of course, they haven't been able to get in the pool first. And suddenly he gets it, right, without having to do anything for it. So one of the, re one of the other names that the Pool of Bethesda has is, of course, the Pool of Mercy. And what was in operation here was a system of mercy. Now, mercy, as we know, um, if you look at the back at the times of the Bible, was basically... Uh, the way that we got a, a pass, like in Monopoly, you know, go through, pass, through, go, to go around the board again. In that case, they would go around for a whole year, living their lives, and they come back after, after the year to the temple where they would, of course, bring the best animal they could obviously get for a sacrifice. That sacrifice would be the blood that would provide for them another opportunity to go around again and around again. And they did this every year. And of course, all that that did was it just bought them time to give them another chance to go around the sun. Jesus arrives and this is the system that is in motion there, you know. And so what was what was happening here is you know, there was a system of mercy, all right? And so uh, this person, that whoever had got in there, right, they obviously had to make sure that they were in their best behavior, in their best readiness to be able to get in the pool. If they didn't get in the pool first, right, they missed it, all right? And of course, they will get another year to wait, and then hopefully the next year they will be the ones. How many of you have been living your life and feel this way every time it comes to God. You know how we sit sometimes in meetings and certain people seem to have these breakthroughs and they come up and they give us a snapshot of their lives. And of course, it's easy when you hear things in these meetings to think that that is the whole entire life. But of course, they're just giving us a snapshot of their lives. And they, they, you know, they give testimony that they got this, they got that. 
And you sit there thinking, you know, that's great. And suddenly we are sort of told or we hear mumbling say, well, you know, they pray a lot or they give a lot or they do a lot or they, they go to all the conferences or they work really hard. And somehow it makes you feel like you have no chance because you know the condition of your life, whether it's through the suffering you've experienced, the pain you've obviously carried within you because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the wounds that have not been given to God uh, so that they can be healed. And, you know, you're involved in the system of mercy where you're trying to force life to work and somehow always trying to force God to give you the things that you think you need or you think you should have or that you think you deserve or that you think you need in order to be happy and at peace. And yet somehow you miss it. And maybe some of us, we've been around this circle, you know, 30 times. We've been around this circle 50 times. Maybe some of us only a year. Whatever the amount of time is, I want to share with you that Jesus did not come to share with us temporary mercy. He came to share with us eternal grace. And this eternal grace means that in those areas of our lives or our lives, when we are the most helpless, where we feel the weakest, where we feel the dirtiest, where we feel that is the darkest, in those areas, God is where he wants to begin to show us how much and how well he loves us. And as we have seen in this passage, it is not required for us to first have the strength or first give money or first do certain things or first attend a course or a conference or read certain books or fast for so many days. There are no requirements. All that we need is a heart that is honest and says, Jesus, I want to be made well. Now, there is another passage which shows very well what needs to happen in our daily lives, because of course we don't have a pool that we need to get into like this guy, these guys did. And we certainly don't have to go through a, well, I hope we don't, go through a temple every year to sacrifice, you know, your dog or your cat or your cow or whatever you seem to get. You know, you know hopefully you're not involved in that kind of thing. All right. And so for us, you know, we live a practical life. We wake up, we go to work, you know, we live, we raise a family, we pay bills. And we obviously at the same time, you know, our spiritual journey is part of that daily routine, daily life that we have. So what does it look like? You know, where do we find a, a picture of what it looks like for us to be able to experience this transition from a system of mercy into that, you know, like limitless space of grace? Well, let's go to Psalm 23. Now, in Psalm 23, again, you can read this later. Or if you have your Bible handy, go ahead and grab it. And I'm going to use the message, uh, the version uh, of the Bible, uh, which is called the message. Um, and, you know, it's the, psalm, uh, the psalm reads, and it starts to read, and I'm going to read the first part, which starts with God, and it ends up with direction. And it says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. What I like to do, uh, I like you to do is I would like you to put a line under that. Okay. And, and, and class that as section A of Psalm 23. Now let's read section B, which starts with even and finishes with secure. Even when the way goes through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. When you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. 
class that as section B. And then section C is, of course, whatever is remains of the sum, which starts with you and it finishes with life. And it says, you serve me a six course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brings with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Now, I want to start with section A. Section A is something that describes that you are the one that is obviously leading the way. Your effort, your trying is the one that is actually making things happen. You're relying on your hard work. You're relying for that to, to, to give you results. And you are obviously in a system where you have to continuously work hard in order for things to happen. Now, listen to this. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. Okay, the fact that God has to find somewhere for you to lie down means that you are tired. Okay, we get tired because, of course, we work, we try hard, we try and make a go of it, we try and get it right. And, you know, God in his grace provides us through his mercy, you know, somewhere to lie down. You find me a quiet pool to drink from. You know, I don't know about you, but I get thirsty only when I'm actually doing things. If I'm not doing anything, if I'm just enjoying, I'm just lying around, I'm just resting, I don't get thirsty. I get thirsty when there's activity in my life, okay? God in his goodness provides, of course, the pools of water. He lets me catch my breath. The fact that you are out of breath means that you've been doing something that is taking your breath away. And then, of course, once you've been able to recover, you get to go around again until you, of course, need to drink and rest and, of course, recover again. All right. Now, that is section A. That is mercy. Section B is the place we need to go through in order to transfer our lives or the experience of our lives from that literal first place to where we try and produce results and produce fruit in our lives through our doing into that third section, which is, of course, grace, where it begins with God. Okay, so we'll get to the third section in a second, but let's just go through the middle. Section B says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, the valley of the shadow of death is not a place where you physically died, but it is a place where certain things in your life have to die. In other words, they have to be shed. And it is true that we wake up spiritually not by adding things and, and buying more books and reading more and learning more and, and, and knowing more and collecting more information. No, we actually wake up spiritually when we shed the things that are not good and true about ourselves or our belief in God. Those things have to do with our false identity. It has to do with the labels we wear. It has to do with this driven effort outside to create a life or a future that somehow can redeem the past that we're ashamed of. Okay, so this this journey through the valley is somewhere we walk through and it can be quite scary. Okay, it speaks about not being afraid. The fear is not because you're walking through somewhere that is dark and obviously haunted. No, the fear comes because when we have to let go of the things that we put our trust in and you know we all say we trust god but let's face it you know a million bucks looks pretty trustworthy to me i don't know about you but i'll be honest with you it looks pretty trustworthy to me my weekly paycheck when i used to get a weekly or monthly paycheck it was 
It was nice to know that that could buy me my steak, my water, pay my rent or my mortgage, pay for my car, pay for my gas. You know, it was, it was, it gave me a sense of security. Okay. So in other words, there are certain things in our lives that we put our trust in subconsciously that are actually God is wanting us to loosen our grip over them and let them go. We not necessarily mean we have to change careers or jobs or whatever, but you know, the way that we rely on those things to provide us with life, not provide us for life, but to provide us with life, to give us that sense of security that somehow we're going to be okay because we have these things in place. Some of us, those things are attached to labels, you know, and when we introduce ourselves, of course, you know, people say, hey, what do you do? That's the first thing we ask each other. And so we sometimes proudly say, well, I am a doctor or I am a banker or I'm a builder or I'm a teacher, whatever you are or whatever you aren't. And you, you, you shine this label out to them and the hope of then developing a conversation and trying to impress them by telling them how well you do your job or what awards you've won or how, or how good you're at it. And, and that's how we basically value each other according to what we do, not according to who we are. And the valley of the shadow of death is a place where we shed those things that we like the world to think that we are. Okay. Now, God protects us. He is gentle. He is loving and he is very patient. So this process through here is obviously a place we go through over and over and over. And of course, as we go over and over and through it, we become more used to it. Okay. And we become more secure and we know we can trust God that even though we let go of this fig leaf and we feel completely naked, right? That is still okay because the truth and the security and the life and the purpose and the identity and the affirmation and all of those underlying premises that we often look in the things we do, we now are getting them from God from within our hearts in the same way that Adam did before he covered himself in the garden. Okay, now we're back. Now we're down. Once we've been able to go through uh, this B part, here we are now on the C part. Okay, and the C part, if you look carefully, it starts with God. It says, You serve me a six course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head, and my cum brings with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I am back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Here, everything starts with God. We here are not running out of breath. We're not thirsty and we're not tired. Now, I don't know about you, but I've traveled a lot in my life and I've had the privilege of dining with royalty. I've had the privilege of dining with uh, government officials, high up officials, ambassadors, ministers, whatever. And the only time I have ever had a six course dinner is when I've dined with royalty or someone very high up in a government. I have never, ever had a six-course meal in a restaurant. And I've been, again, privileged enough to eat in some amazing restaurants. But the most I've seen in those is five courses. So here is talking about sitting down and not only having God prepare the meal for you, but actually sitting down and eating it with him. So there is something intimate about that. I don't know about the culture that you come from. But my, in the Latin culture, when we share a meal... It's almost like the first step towards developing a deeper, more intimate relationship with the person that you're sharing the meal, 
whether of course that's a woman uh, with a man or whether that's just two friends or a bunch of friends together eating together does something to deepen the relationship it brings barriers down um you know usually it happens when the barriers have come down you know you've become comfortable enough with this person that you're now happy to share uh, a couple of hours eating together allowing them to to obviously experience you in a more intimate way where you are still sitting in front of them for a few hours you're not moving around you're not doing anything else but you are in each other's presence okay now you revive my drooping head my cup brims over you know through this intimate encounter with god your your head is revived in other words you know your head is lifted up there is something that goes on within you grace activates parts within you in your heart it heals you it not only heals you but it obviously sets you free and it activates parts within your heart that mercy never ever can and so now you're not only breathing but you're more alive you have passion you suddenly have purpose you suddenly have identity and you suddenly realize that all this table and all the things you've just eaten and received they have nothing to do with anything that you did okay this of course leads your life to overflow with blessings so now you can be a blessing to others not at the expense of your life of those that you love but because it overflows out of you so that blessing can be anything from meeting someone in the post office and just smiling at them or just striking a short conversation and allowing the blessing the love the peace the joy that is within you to overflow into their lives and to obviously perhaps make them aware of a dimension in life that they have no idea about. Now, listen to this. You, of course, cannot stay on a table eating all the time because, of course, you'll get fat. And, and there are plenty of spiritually fat people around the world, which all they do is they just eat, 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 and they never do anything about it. So God doesn't just want us to be meditating all day, doing nothing on top of a mountain. He wants us to live. He wants us to mingle. He wants to send us out into the world like he prayed before he went to the cross, that we would not be taken away, but that we will be sent out. Now, when you go, listen to this, your beauty and love chase after me. It doesn't say I have to chase after your beauty and love. It says your beauty and love, they chase after me every day of my life now the, the 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 if you like the trick the key to experiencing this is actually to live fully present on this road of grace where we rely on god to provide all our emotional all our spiritual needs to meet them fully by him who of course is more than able to do that and in time, as we become confident and we continue to walk through that valley of the shadow of death over and over, you know, we go back to mercy. We realize, wow, in this area, I'm still relying on my own efforts. I'm still trying to protect something in my life. I'm still trying to heal something in my life through my efforts. We then retake the journey, which the death of the valley of shadow of death can be also seen as the desert. We retake the journey through the desert so that we can enter into that space of grace where the healing, where the experience can happen. Mercy is literal. Grace is a place where we experience God and experience life abundantly and to the fullest. Now, finally, I am back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Now, I believe that is speaking of us living and being back in our hearts, where, of course, I believe we find the kingdom of heaven and we find our true identity and we find 
that that's the center of our being, which we share with God. We carry his spiritual DNA, you know, his identity, his nature, his likeness. And so I just would like to encourage you as you've listened to this, not to fall into condemnation because you may be living all your life and your spiritual journey is mainly about being on section A. The reality is our lives are never either on section A or section B. Our lives are about moving from one degree of glory to another each day and knowing that God is patient, that if the degree didn't take place today, it might take place tomorrow. And if it didn't take place tomorrow, it might be the next day. God's love for us, it is not shaped or is not determined or dictated according to where we are in our path spiritually. God loves us as we are, like Brennan Manning said so well, not as we should be. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope that uh, it has sparked something to consider that perhaps you've not considered before. And, uh, and to encourage you, if you're sitting around a pool of mercy in a certain area of your life, whether it's a career, this uh, job you're waiting for, or certain things that you think, if I'm only able to get into that pool, then I'll be okay. I'll find the happiness and the peace that I so desire. You know, I want to encourage you to consider that there is a, a better way, that there is another way, and that is the way of grace. Remember, grace is not a tightrope. Grace is an open field. I leave you with that. And I thank you for listening. Until next time, be blessed. And may the shalom of the resurrected Christ embrace your life every moment of every day. Bye-bye. Friends and fellow sojourners, thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Sound Project Podcast, Getting Undressed with God. It has been my undivided pleasure and privilege to be able to share with you some of the ongoing discoveries and meditations that I continue to have within my life as I continue not only to follow but to experience the inner embrace of the resurrected Christ. Please take some time to check out the notes uh, at the bottom of the recording as there is some relevant information there in particularly for those of you that perhaps don't follow this podcast on a regular basis or the work that I put out. So until next time, remember, those of us that live present, we live. And those of us that don't, well, we just pretend to. Have a wonderful, wonderful journey. And may God continue to show you how much and how well he loves you. Until next time, bye-bye.